Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Yes, today's episode is as crazy as the title sounds. Kyle and Tom are brothers from Canada. Love to travel, love to help the world. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, They've done a lot of humanitarian work, and they decided to put their experience of portaging canoes, growing up canoeing all over Canada, uh, and their love of travel and their love for humanitarian work together to do something no one's ever done literally carry canoes on their head, two different canoes, by the way, not just one canoe they shared, two different canoes up to Everest Base Camp. And you might say, what in the world are you talking about? But that's what they did. And they did it to raise money for a Nepali uh, Women's Mental Health Transit Center, and they raised $150,000. It was a 30-day expedition back in 2019. And no, they did not get to ride the canoes. I'm going to ask that in the in the interview, so I'm going to spoil that for you. They did not get to. There's not like rideable water up or down Everest Base Camp route. But the next adventure they're doing is going to be in the Canadian Rockies. They're going to walk across the Canadian Rockies, where they're from, carrying canoes on their head. So, uh, you know, they're raising health, uh, awareness for mental health. If you ask me, they're doing a great job because anybody I see carrying a canoe up to the top of Mount Everest is uh, there's something going on in the mental health department, if you ask me, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) they're such good sports about it. They love, you know, they know how absurd it looks. They know it's crazy. Uh, And I absolutely love these kinds of adventures. So cool. By the way, we are doing a listener survey. Uh, We're going to be making some changes to this podcast soon, and we would love your feedback ahead of time. So Go in the show notes, click on the link. It's just like five or six questions. It doesn't take that long. You do get a discount code, like a little perk afterwards. And for anyone that does submit the survey afterwards, we'll send a few more uh, little perks and uh, some thank yous for submitting the survey. But if if your app doesn't allow you to click on it, just go to our website or, or find another podcast app or somewhere online that allows you to click on that link to go to our survey. It's just a Google form. So we would love your feedback ahead of that. But let's go ahead and get into this story. So unique, so awesome. And these are the kinds of adventures that really get me fired up because, you know, you're just throwing a wrench into everything you know about adventures and doing something so different. I love it. All right, folks, you heard a little bit about Tom and Kyle's story in the intro, uh, but Tom Schellenberg, Kyle Roberts, brothers together, which apparently is kind of rare, So, or I don't know if it's rare, it's just it's happening right now, I know, but welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Great. Thanks for having us, Mason. Yeah, yeah. And so y'all asked me where I'm coming from. And, and, uh, you know, actually the last couple episodes have asked me that, which never happened. So it's kind of funny, two episodes in a row, two interviews in a row, but I want to know now, where are y'all coming from? Where in the world are you? Uh, right now we're in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, Canada. So, uh, yeah, we're just sitting in uh, my apartment here. Uh, this is Tom speaking and, uh, yeah, Kyle just came from uh, the Island. He was uh, living up on Vancouver Island, North end of the Island. Yeah, so this is Kyle here, and currently I'm living a pretty transient lifestyle with my girlfriend. We've been kind of living in a van a bit and then also doing a bit of work here and there, but right now we're up on the very north end of Vancouver Island, as Tom mentioned, which is pretty remote up there, a lot of bears, and pretty interesting place to be living and working. Oh, man, absolutely beautiful, both of y'all. So how how often do y'all get together and, and be able to see each other? We actually don't get to see each other that much. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think we always love spending time together, but in the last 
feel like seven years, maybe even more, we've lived in the same country very limited times, like very few times. So this is the closest we've been with Kyle on the island and me in Vancouver. This is the closest we've probably lived in maybe a decade even. So uh, we tend to meet up to do expeditions or travel together. Um, but yeah, in the last few months, Kyle's been here for uh, been here twice. So it's great to get to spend some time together. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so for the last seven years, up until about a year ago, I've been living in Australia, where my girlfriend's from. So I've been living in Melbourne, Australia, and Tom's been living here in Vancouver for a lot of that time. So we always kind of tend to miss each other, but luckily we have a bit of an overlap right now in British Columbia. So, Well, we are honored to have a little slice of that time, uh, a little slice of that pie for, for, for dedicating to the podcast. Cause it's always awesome, you know, especially when an expedition or, or, or an event involves more than one person to have both or three or all four people on. We've had, I think up to six on the show before, and then they weren't all on the same line, which is actually really difficult, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was the editing on that one was, was pretty intense, but so, so growing up, you know, folks heard and see in the title of this episode, like what, you know, canoes up to the Everest base camp and they're like, did I read that right? Is there a river up there that's not frozen over? Like what, what is going on? But I want to know before we jump into that story, did y'all, were y'all around each other a lot through childhood? And if so, uh, uh, what kind of things were you doing? Uh, were, were you into these kinds of adventures and these humanitarian efforts or did you have to discover it on your own after adulthood? What, what was kind of the situation there that, that kind of started all this? Yeah, it's a great question. We were, I would say we were extremely fortunate as kids that we had a really great upbringing where our parents really uh, exposed us to the great outdoors a lot. Um, we did a lot of camping from when we were quite young, sort of interior canoe camping that involved a lot of portaging um, in remote areas, mostly in Algonquin Park, which is in southern Ontario in Canada. We would do trips for many days on end with our big family, my dad, my stepmom, and, and a, a bunch of our siblings. And, you know, we'd have nothing but our canoes and our backpacks and tents, and we'd go out into the wilderness for a while. So from a young age, that was something we were in, uh, introduced to. Also, um, as you may have gathered, we have a split family. So that was on our dad's side. And our mom, we were fortunate enough that she um, kind of took us introduced us to, to traveling in a lot of ways, I would say when when my mom and dad split up when we were quite young. I, I was five and Tom was three. Mom took us on a road trip across Canada um, all the way out to British Columbia, like a sort of one month long road trip. And she had her two young kids in the car. And I feel like that in a lot of ways, like kind of uh, shaped our lives. Like we, it just maybe introduced us to that adventurous side when we were quite young. So yeah, we were very fortunate to have that sort of adventurous up upbringing. And there are other siblings, so that that, that experience was unique to, to the two of y'all. Yeah, it was, yeah, unique to, to the both of us. But yeah, there are other siblings, but after our parents split. So Kyle and I, we always say we're our two, we're blood brothers, you know, <laughs> and uh, our other siblings, we've got uh, a half-sister and a half-brother and then other step-brothers and sisters from when our parents remarried. Uh, but I, yeah, I also think just the appreciation of nature comes from both of our parents, like, uh, you know, our dad went to school for forestry and our parents met in the Ministry of Natural Resources, right? MNR? Yeah, yeah. in Ontario. In, yeah. in Ontario. And so there's just that 
that love and appreciation for the outdoors. And so I feel very, very grateful that we uh, got to get handed down that kind of same appreciation and love for the outdoors. Man, that's so cool. Because, you know, as a parent, you might not always think, you know, this is, it's a road trip, it's a great time, but you just don't know how impactful that is to the kids and how, uh, I, I mean, it's like, it's like creating the storybooks you read at night, just coming to life for you to where it, it, it totally shapes your life. And although it might be just an amazing experience for, for uh, one of your parents, but not as, maybe not as impactful just because they're, they're not in that, very moldable stage of life, uh, like y'all were. So that that's so cool to hear that 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 might have planted some seeds for what you're doing now and what you continue to work on, and how important it is for folks listening to make sure they're bringing the people in their life on experiences like that because it can have have a huge effect. Totally. Sometimes I do think maybe our parents wish they maybe planted a little less seeds because we can be a little too adventurous and spend a little too much time away from home. But yes, no, I think they're very, we're very grateful that they did give us that upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, no, de- definitely. Yeah. I think our, our mom has learned to desensitize herself when we're off doing stuff because it's like, you know, Oh God, what are they up to now? But yeah, um, but yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. It started with her. That's awesome. Yeah. My, my mom has definitely said, uh, I just try not to think about it too much. When you're out there, especially doing something dangerous. Like I don't, she doesn't want to be updated. It doesn't want to be, have, have, have too much information to realize maybe how dangerous it is or how much further there is to go. So I totally get that. Well, Well, tell us after that experience, what would you say led to what you're doing? I, I know that the, the expedition to the Everest base camp, um, has an amazing cause behind it. So, uh, and y'all did some traveling early on. What would you say was some of the other foundational steps to this? I know that experience with your mom and all the camping growing up, what were kind of some of the transitional pieces from there to where we are now? You know, as we grew up doing that camping and Kyle talked about in Algonquin Provincial Park, you know, we always, loved trying to carry a canoe farther or find the next biggest portage and see if we could how long you could carry the canoe each without taking a rest and that started from a young age like we would have been in our early teens you know doing that and loving that but then i remember i mean kyle was off actually traveling in india with his girlfriend at the time and i was just getting ready to graduate from high school and i really wanted to go to Eastern Africa. I was, uh, I wanted to go volunteer there, uh, take a, you know, a year off between college. And so I remember I was talking with Kyle. I actually think he was maybe in Kashmir at the time when I was talking to him, which at the time was, a bit, you know, very un- political unrest place at the mo- at the time. And I was saying, you know, I- I'm going to go, you- I'd love you to come with me. And, and he said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so I remember us kind of signing up to do this together. And so we went and uh, moved over to uh, Tanzania, Arusha, Tanzania. I lived there with a local family for two and a half months and volunteered at uh, the orphanage there together. And so at that time, I was 18 and Kyle was 21. So still pretty young. You know, I, I felt like I was old, but, you know, still pretty young to do that and had a, just a wonderful experience there, just waking up every day and going to the orphanage and helping the kids. And we, raised money from home to build, um, to actually build a pig pen. We tried to build like a sustainable project for the widows of the uh, town we were working in so that, you know, they could raise pigs and sell them and use them for food and continue that kind of cycle going on and on. So that was kind of the first, I feel like more philanthropic thing that we did together uh, in an adventure kind of format. 
Uh, and then we backpacked for the next two months around Southern and Eastern Africa. And so I'd say that was one of the steps. Little did we know what was going to come later on with the way we carry and portaging canoes to new altitudes. But I, I, to me, that was a pretty big piece. And then it was kind of another chapter in our life when I, I think it was kind of a similar way. You know, I've, I've, I've been interested in Mount Everest for quite some time. I feel like I watched that, uh, you know, the, the Hollywood uh, movie, the IMAX movie that came out about Mount Everest. I think I was eight years old is what I, I always recall when I watched it. And I remember like just loving it and wanting to go. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, if we're going to go. I should go to base camp first, maybe see what that's like before I think of trying to go for the summit or something like that. And, and yeah, Kyle and I were chatting about it and talking about, hey, I want to go to base camp. And, of course, he wanted to go as well. And we just coordinated and went there for the first time. Um, really no ideas, again, of canoes yet at that point. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of what brought us to there and happy to get into the next steps too, if you'd like. So obviously traveling the world, uh, having done some, some volunteering experiences in Africa and I saw in New Zealand, uh, for you, Kyle, these seem to be, were these moving experiences? Like in the sense of like, did you feel changed or, or different after this? Or was it just uh, wow, those were great experiences. What can I do next? Or, or did you feel like change your trajectory in some way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, I guess just to backtrack a little bit and maybe what we didn't mention in some ways, but our mom being a nurse, I guess, kind of brought up a lot of sort of philanthropic value, philanthropic values in us. And I think maybe those things did really come to the surface a lot, especially when we traveled in places where maybe people you know, the developing countries and that kind of thing and seeing some of the hardship there made us want to do something to give back. Um, and I think maybe that's where going to Tanzania started. And when we did go out to Tanzania and, you know, we're in this new country and trying to sort of find our feet doing volunteer work over there, we really sort of acknowledged like, it, you know, it's a complicated thing going over somewhere like that. There's a lot of different organizations. A lot of them are doing great work. A lot of them are not doing, and are sometimes um, just, you know, more operating a tourist industry, like to get people to come over and volunteer in Africa. And, and maybe they're not really making a huge difference in a lot of ways. And I think what really resonated with me was we were able to leverage our friends and family from back home when we were over there to donate money to us. We were essentially, we didn't even have an organization or anything that we were just two guys over in Tanzania that were able to implement the money. And through our friends and family donating a bunch of money back home, as Tom mentioned, we were able to build a pig pen. It was a tangible, physical thing that would be a sustainable project for years to come. And by being able to do that, we were actually able to do something that actually directly benefited this community. And to me, that was a really powerful thing because it was a way to actually give in a good way where this is actually going to help people be able to prosper in their future and that kind of thing. So for me, that was a, it's funny because I don't think I've ever spoke about that in that way. But for me, I just saw something there like this is how we can make a difference you know, by actually 
doing something sustainable. And for me, I think that sort of set the wheels in motion in some ways for future work that we did. I also, yeah, I also think the a part piece of the emotional connection that I can think of too in in that you know beginning, as an example, in our trip uh, to Eastern Africa and in Tanzania, like you know several times taking some of the young orphans that might be three years old, four years old, to you know, we woke up, I remember it was Christmas morning, we were there at, in the orphanage for Christmas and, and uh, you know, one of the kids was really sick and, you know, took him to a, you know, carried him through town to find a doctor and sure enough, he had malaria and bought him the malaria medication he needed. That cost us, I think, maybe like 80 Canadian dollars and, but would not, he would not have been able to get that medication and may have died. And just thinking that emotional, uh, you know, that was deep for me, just seeing like young beautiful child who was like, we always had so much, this one in particular, I mean, they're all, they were all great and just huge smiles and having so much fun with really not a whole lot in their life. And then just, you know, being able to, you know, help them and say, you know, save that kid's life in that moment and be able to do that kind of thing just during our, our small time there. Yeah. Just resonated a lot with me. And one thing I think it's important, you know, to understand for us is like the values of the weight we carry that we've set are, you know, the first value is universal compassion. And I think that's something when Kyle speaks of her mom being a nurse and, you know, she always taught us to care and want to help people. And we love thinking of ourselves of having universal compassion. It doesn't matter what country, where you are, what your background is, what your race is, what your religion is. We do like, we just, we want to help people um, and not have borders to it. And it doesn't have to just be within Canada. It can be wherever is needed. Um, so I think universal compassion is a massive one for us and something we like to put out there as a contagious value uh, for others to embrace. And the, the, our other values, so it's universal compassion, and compulsively authentic is our second value. Embrace discomfort is our third. And uh, be good. Be good. And uh, keep the canoe above your head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Unless you're riding it, of course. No. Uh, yeah. do, do you think those experiences, I feel like I've just already asked the questions about trajectory, but do you think they moved you away from a path that you were going to go down and maybe changed it into this, this new path? Because I, I know that, I'm not sure if you still do, but Tom, it, it, I read on the website that you're the general manager of and CEO of a, a golf club in Vancouver, which feels like worlds apart. You know, it feels like, the opposite of that, but you've found in a, a way through like fundraising to like connect those communities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you think you'd have done that if you wouldn't have had that experience? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, it's a good question. It's something I go through quite a bit in my head as well, because I, I feel like what I do with my personal time and professional time are very different. Like you said, it feels like almost two worlds in a way. It's got to be whiplash sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I guess what I love about what I do professionally is just the opportunity to lead and work with a team of, you know, we're over 125 staff. And so I still apply that same kind of universal compassion and wanting to make a difference in people's lives, whether they're working with us for a month, the summer, one year, five years, or 25 years, trying to make it a place where people love and learn something from and get better from and grow, you know? So 
I kind of take those values into my professional side. Um, the other thing I think it's helped me is just like build connections that's helped us in many ways in some of our philanthropic efforts. Like a lot of sometimes our donors have come through that or just open the doors in other areas that have helped us grow the weight we carry. So um, I guess that's how I've connected the two. Uh, but yeah, it is something I do go through and think about a lot because really at the end of the day, I feel like what I want to do most is I want to do the, do the best for the people I meet in the time that I have, you know, really is what it comes down to for me. And so the more I can do things like uh, the way spend more time with the weight we carry, the, the better I think I can impact the world positively. Amazing. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the weight we carry because you know, uh, you you were telling me you went and uh, did uh, Everest Base Camp the quote the quote normal way. You know, when when and experienced yeah, it. Where did the idea come to? And I try to ask new questions. I know people who get interviewed and have done a lot of talking about an experience. I try to ask new questions, but there's some that are just unavoidable. And for this one, it's like, why? <laughs> you just can't. You got to know, like. But before why, when, when did this idea come about? Because you you took something that you were used to growing up, portaging uh, uh, canoes across the Canadian interior for days or, or weeks or however long you were gone for, for trips and something you've done halfway around the world in, in, in Nepal. When did the two combine and how, how did that even come about? That's just so random. Yeah, it totally is. And that's definitely something we acknowledge in a big way. Um, I guess to sort of paint the scene for you, like we were there in 2017 uh, when we were trekking to Everest Base Camp. And we started about a week out from where the trek generally starts. It usually, for anyone who's done it before, you fly into this airport called Lukla, and it's known to be like the most dangerous airport in the world because it's this runway like on the side of a mountain. We skipped that and we sort of hiked in from further out. Just, of course, the hiking to Everest Base Camp wasn't hard enough, so we needed to make it harder for some reason. But Make it longer and anyway, carry, carry a canoe. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and then we did that, and then we made it even harder again, I guess. But we were near a place called Namche Bazaar, which is quite a sort of famous stop along the way uh, to getting to Everest Base Camp. And we were hiking in the Himalayas, you know, for the first time ever. Two brothers, we were just out there, like, so high on life. It was the middle of the winter, which means, like, it's really clear at that time, but really cold. Um, so not many tourists go and hike to Everest Base Camp at that time of the year because it's so cold. But you do get the best views. And also, the trails are, there's, it's not crowded at all. So it was incredible. And we were just, I remember, like, you know, we had so much time together and we just had a lot of deep and meaningful conversation about what life meant to us then and what was important to us. And and um, we also happened to be sort of trekking in an area that had been badly affected by the earthquakes uh, that happened in Kathmandu in 2015, only two years before. And it was hard to, uh, I think you get a real reality check in a way when you're there and you see a lot of people who've lost their homes and have been really affected by this natural disaster. And you're just these two, you know, privileged guys over there hiking through the mountains. You got all the, you know, the amount of money you spend on a plane ticket to get there is often more than 
somebody's going to make in a year or two years over there. And they've been through some hard stuff. And, you know, there was just that sort of parallel there that was confronting in some ways. And I think we both really felt like we wanted to do something to give back. I guess sort of what I was touching on before talking about the big pen was a lot of times if you come from a developed country and you want to give back something I've sort of realized in the work that we do is a lot of times your most valuable commodity is money like that. You know, you know, there's skilled people everywhere in the world. It's hard to just go somewhere and make a difference. A lot of ways, the best way to make a difference is with money. And that's what we've sort of leveraged in the past was, was being able to fundraise from home to make a difference in a new place. And I digress a bit. We were, we were hiking through, you know, Namche Bazaar, these peaks all around us. And we just kind of had this wild idea that we just, I think we were talking about our upbringing, portaging in Algonquin and, and really thinking about how awesome that was. And we just said, imagine, like, imagine portaging here. Like, imagine how wild that would be. And yes, it would be completely ridiculous. Like, um, but imagine we did that. And imagine if we did that, how we could use this sort of wild thing as a way to get people's attention to an important cause. Like, we could use that as a way of getting momentum, of getting traction to make a difference here. And uh, it's funny because both Tom and I, we argue about who had the idea. Like, I think we both feel like it was us who said, why don't we portage canoes up here? But one of us said it, and then both of us thought that's a crazy idea. And we literally never, from that moment, we never gave up on it. We were like, we're going to do this. And that's what set the wheels in motion to do something so wild and out there. And and you you were on the first Everest base camp expedition when this idea came up. So it, it was, yeah. it was in your mind before you even got home. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We always say like, yeah, we always say like, we, we said this would be the ultimate portage. Like we looked at each other and we're like, imagine we had canoes up here and it was just kind of a joke. Like it, it definitely didn't start as we're doing it. Like we were like, but then we were like, wait, that would be awesome. This would be great. And then we finished, got the base camp got down as quick as we could essentially. And first thing we did was call our dad and go, dad, 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 we're going to start a not-for-profit organization and carry canoes to Mount Everest Base Camp. And we want you to be our photographer. And, and he's like, oh, are you now? You know? <laughs> and uh, I think he was like, oh God, what are my boys up to? And at first, I mean, I, I did, you know, when you vocalize it, I was like, oh God, that does sound a bit crazy. But um, <laughs> I don't know. We, we just kind of, if anybody was being critics or, or thinking it was too crazy, we just kind of kept going with our vision and, uh, and then started to get the, the way we carry in, in motion. So tell us about, you know, Kyle, I know you, you talked about the earthquake, the devastation of the earthquake being like a, a big eye opener, but I, I know you have ex- had experience with that in New Zealand from a handful of years prior. What do you think, what now was like the focus? What, what, what was the mission of carrying the, canoes what were you telling people when they asked why what was like your pitch and and, and the, the the whole reason behind the weight we carry all together yeah that's a great question yes i did i had experience working in an earthquake affected area from quite a few years before i was doing earthquake remedial work i'm an industrial rope access technician so i use ropes to climb buildings and cliffs and that kind of thing in new zealand um I was doing earthquake repair work 
although the two were very unrelated, the earthquake that happened in Nepal, I suppose the parallel that could be drawn there and what we really saw was that in Nepal, there was far less government funding to help the people who had been through this devastating disaster. And the one thing that was really prevalent to us was that in Nepal, they have one of the lowest government budgets in the world for mental health funding. Um, there were some signs in when we were in Nepal of infrastructure being rebuilt, houses being rebuilt, or community centers being rebuilt. But there was almost nothing we know now in terms of actually addressing the PTSD and the trauma that people had been through. And being mental health being something that's always been extremely important to Tom and I, having both um, experienced poor mental health in our lives, but also having friends who've suffered severely or lost their lives due to depression and mental illness. It was just something we were both re- that was really near and dear to us. And it was some, it was a way that we saw it was a gap there in the global um, effort to rebuild Nepal that was being overlooked. And that was something that we thought we could sort of draw on, you know, this expedition that we had planned to carry canoes and do this wild thing to draw people's attention. We thought maybe that would be a way we could get people's attention to this sort of gap that we saw there. How were you planning to do that? Because I know with the pig pen, that's very tangible. It's like we build a pig pen. Um, What what was the plan with making an impact on... uh, mental health in Nepal? Yeah, so it, it grew from there. I mean, one of the whys for me when that got us the, the kind of a catalyst was landing there that first time to do that Everest, first ex, Everest expedition without canoes was seeing the devastation from the earthquakes that was two years ago, you know, and just that was a global, global televised earthquake. It was a massive earthquake. I remember seeing it in my house watching, oh my God, this has happened. And there was this huge death toll on Everest. And there was, it was a, there was a ton of media. And then two years go by, and in my mind, until going there, that was old news, right? It was gone. It was dealt with. That was past. You know, we quickly moved to the next big tragedy and look at that somewhere else in the world. Like, you know, we kind of forget about it. But then coming and arriving and seeing this is still so current in this community, that was one of the whys that was just shocking for me. And then the way that we transitioned that to mental health and how to help mental health in Nepal was really the, the biggest thing was we had this idea that we wanted to support mental health after you know we came up with the idea and got back from our first expedition there. Then we went back to Nepal in January of 2018 to do a research trip. That was, that was a very key part of this whole trip. And the idea we had set up was to uh, interview various different charities from, that were supporting mental health in uh, organizations that were supporting mental health in Nepal. So we went, we interviewed and met different groups and we uh, met Matrika, who's the chairperson of Koshish. So Koshish Nepal is the organization that we partnered with. We just felt it was important if we were, if we were wanting to impact as positively as we could from a mental health perspective in Nepal, that we should partner with an organization that's already on the ground there that you know, knows the values and knows the norms and the culture. And so that, you know, it's make sure that we're able to make the best impact we can without imposing our beliefs on people. You know, and that was really something we were very conscious of and not wanting to 
just come over and go, here's what you need. You know, we wanted to uh, work with an organization that was already doing great work and help them do more of that great work. So yeah, that's, so once we connected with Koshish and figured that out, and they, they were definitely a great organization to work with, we talked to them about what their goals were. And one of the big goals was to build a women's mental health center. And that, so that's what we chose to, to fund. So we chose to raise $150,000 to help them build a women's mental health center. So since knowing them, that, you know, we, we went to the land the first time they purchased the land for this women's mental health center, which was amazing to see that. And now uh, the women's mental health center is almost completely done construction. And so it'll open its doors very soon, which is wonderful. What I love about this, y'all, is uh, the ability to just do something out there, to put pieces together of things that exist, and to also just knock on some doors. You know what I mean? You, you didn't create a nonprofit necessarily. You did, but you didn't start the whole mental health aspect. You're like, who's already doing this work? What are we good at? What's our experience? Let's put something together that no one's ever done. And uh, <laughs> let's call our dad and tell him to be the photographer. I love it. So <laughs> I, I realized we're, uh, we haven't even really talked about the expedition yet. We've just been hearing backstory, which is great because there's so much to it. But I want to hear about the trip. I know there's uh, an amazing documentary, which, by the way, was really well done. What, was your dad doing that? Because I was kind of blown away by the quality of the camera work and, and just it looked like I was watching a cinematic film which, you know, I'll be, I'll be plugging, but, but did your dad do that? No, it, it was actually, it was actually our younger brother. So <laughs> our younger half brother Seton came on the expedition to film it all. At the time he had just moved out here to Vancouver and he wanted to get into film. We have grown up with a bit of, you know, our dad is a photographer. And so we had a dark room in our house as kids. So we all got a bit of an appreciation for photography. Kyle took it up a lot. I've done just a very little. And then our younger brother really started to grow with his appreciation for it. And funny enough, this is just, I think, kind of coincidental, but today uh, is actually our younger brother Seton's wedding. So this afternoon, we're going to his wedding here yeah. in Vancouver. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> well, y'all, thank you so much for taking the time. Good gracious. I, I'm, I'm even more honored. Yeah. Oh, no, you're helping get up, getting us out of all those, like, you know, pre-wedding <laughs> chores and stuff. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell him, tell him that his work will be, be uh, uh, more widely broadcast after this. So pe more people yeah. are going to check out the film. And so it, it's in his best interest that you step away. Um, <laughs> that was his first, it was his first go at anything like that. So, wow. uh, you know, he yeah. has a passion for it and yeah, did a, did a fabulous job and, yeah, there's a whole nother story to him coming on the expedition too. That was pretty incredible, which uh, which was awesome and nice to be able to do it with another brother. As well. No kidding. Well, well, well. Speaking of brother, I, so your brother's involved, so he must have thought it was relatively good idea. Uh, your dad sounded, you know, maybe apprehensive, but but some. But what were some of the reactions you were getting to, from people when you said we're going to literally carry canoes, two canoes, by the way, you're not going to share one, two canoes on top of your head up to Everest Base Camp. What were some of the reactions by people? We got, a, as you'd imagine, we got a lot of very skeptical reactions. Uh, at the time, I was living in Australia. And if you think portaging a canoe up a mountain is bizarre enough in North America, where we kind of do a lot more canoe trips and that kind of thing, 
in Australia, it was like even more bizarre. Like I remember in particular telling a friend over there and he was like, you know that that just sounds ludicrous, right? Like he straight up said that to me. We had a lot of skepticism leading up to it for sure, but that we knew that that was what made it a great idea. Like we knew that the wildness of it all was what was going to captivate people in, in the, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to raise money um, to do something because otherwise people probably wouldn't hear about it and, and that kind of thing. So yeah. Um, also family members and that kind of thing were, some were like extremely supportive right from the get-go. They got it and they could just see our vision and see how this could would be a really impactful thing. And then others were just really skeptical about it. And that was kind of part of a big learning in the whole process was like, I think when you want to do something like this, you have to be willing to be very vulnerable. And in terms that, you know, you, you can't, you have to be willing for people to tell you like, this is a bad idea or, mm-hmm. you know, you're crazy or whatever. Um, we had to hear that a lot in the beginning. We also really had to persevere and just kind of keep, keep getting back to that. We knew that this was going to be great and that it would make a big difference. So that, that was like a huge takeaway from it for me and my own mental health and well being was just learning to let go of your ego sometimes and be vulnerable and be okay with, being a bit yeah being unique and being okay with being criticized yeah thanks yeah yeah and then when we started on the trail for the first time with the canoes there was also a whole nother different set of commentary i guess from locals and just like (laughs) what's going on here that was my other question what did locals think yeah i mean we just only hear a lot of dunga 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 which is which means boat and and it was often we'd be hiking in like these little mountain towns and you just see like one little kid come running out and go, Yuga! and they'd be, be pointing at us. And then there'd be five other kids that would come and run. And I remember talking to a local and he's like, this is the first time my kids have ever seen a boat, you know, because like, oh. you're in the Himalayas. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no boat purpose up there. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people were looking at us like they were laughing at us. They're like, these guys don't even realize the lake's frozen. You know, yeah. like, yeah. we, we, we knew the lake was frozen. But so I think it was just people who just thought it was, yeah, really funny. Which we, we, had a lot, we had a lot of fun with. Like, we, yeah. you know, whenever we stayed at a tea house, we would, you know, if there was kids around, we'd, like, you know, kind of play around the canoes with them. Or there was someone, there were a bigger kid, we'd put a canoe on their shoulders and show them how to carry it and that, that kind of stuff. Wow. Wow, unbelievable. Now, yeah, I, you know, I, I was, uh, that's actually interesting. First time some of the kids have seen a boat, because, right, there's rapids up there or it's frozen once you get closer to the top. I can imagine some of those Australians, especially yeah. <laughs> Kyle, who were, who were like, oh, you're, you're, you're climbing uh, or you're going up to Everest Base Camp with some canoes on your head to raise awareness for mental health. Yeah. I, I, I think the mental illness is loud and clear. You guys are absolutely <laughs> insane yeah. for doing this. Like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to tell us that part. We knew something was was going on. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. So, so, so having done this without canoes the normal way and having done it with canoes, besides the obvious of having a canoe you're carrying on top of your head, what are what are some of the challenges of doing it with a canoe as far as logistically or as far as packing even or just the weight of it? Because I, I know you went for something lightweight, but tell, tell us some of the major differences of trekking versus, I don't even know, portaging, portaging a canoe. 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I mean, one of the biggest challenges with the canoes are, specifically with this expedition, was getting them there, Mm. was finding a canoe. You know, in that initial research trip in 2018, we were going around Nepal to see if we could find any canoes there that we could carry so we wouldn't have to try to ship a canoe in. And the the only thing, the closest thing we found was just outside Pokhara, a town there, and it was a boat that would have been, you know, ten a ten seater. You know, we wouldn't have been able to carry it a hundred feet. You know, it just was not an option. And so, getting the canoes there was actually one of the biggest logistical uh, things. Um, we had these two beautiful, lightweight, fourteen uh, foot canoes that uh, Brian uh, Schultz of Cape Falcon Kayaks in Portland, Oregon, uh, made for us. He found us on Instagram and supported what we were doing, and so he handmade these canoes for us, and then was going to ship them out. But, you know, everywhere, all these airlines and cargo companies would only do something of 10 feet, you know, it had to be 10 feet or less. And I remember at one point, you know, saying we, that we were very close. That was one of the closest we were to be, like, just going, we can't do this. I don't know how we're going to get the canoes there. And I called Brian and I said, Brian, so anyway, you can cut these things in half. Like he had just handmade them. you know. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. I felt so bad. And, and he's like, no, no, there's no way. I mean, luckily he designed them. So the one was a two inches shorter so it could fit inside the other. That was, that was actually a, a very key element to it. And very smart. Yeah. Through a lot of work and a, a sponsor came through that managed to figure out the shipping for us and, and cover that cost, which was wonderful. You know, we managed to get the canoes over there. So that was a big piece just logistically. Then in the actual expedition and actually carrying the canoes, I think a lot of the challenge, the weight was a challenge, like you said, that maybe maybe the obvious, but with the canoe and our pack of gear and everything, uh, we were doing it totally just you know self-supported, I, I guess, maybe the right term. Yeah, we each had about 93 pounds of, of weight on us at the beginning. So it was a lot of weight to carry up and down through the mountains and through into altitude. And uh, so that was definitely a challenge that caused some injuries for myself in particular just the weight did but then also just having to have your arms up like having to have your arms kind of up on the gunnels a lot for a long time especially when it's cold you know your hands and fingers get very very cold when you know the blood's kind of flowing out of them when they're up so that was a challenge and then there was some scary moments where with wind with high winds like when we're crossing either a cable bridge or on the edge of one of the like mountain trails you know, with nothing obviously stopping you from going down the side and just starting to be very uh, conscious of the steps you're taking. And I would actually like uh, try to bear hug the canoe and hold it down on me while, you know, stepping kind of waddling like a duck a little bit, <laughs> taking these like, you know, solid steps to make sure, you know, that it wouldn't just get blown over or something. But Jeez. those would be the main additional challenges. Um, I think the other one psychologically was just having a canoe on your head. You know, not being able to see the beauty. I was going to say it, it had to have impaired your view. Yeah, yeah, it does. And so you're kind of just inside your head, a lot of it, you know, you know, tried to stay close enough that we could talk and and do that kind of thing. But, but that definitely grew to be a point. I remember 
you know, waking up in the morning to go, okay, here we go again. You know, like it, it took us, I think it was 18 or 19 days to get to base camp. And the whole trip was 25 days in total. And, you know, just kind of going, oh, I just don't want to put the canoe on my shoulders again. So that's not a short experience, 25 days. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that, that's comparable to some of the, I mean, that's some of the longest trips that people do, you know, nearly a month uh, uh, and, and yeah, so I mean, you can do half the Appalachian Trail. I mean, the fastest person in the world can in in in, in that amount of time. So, <laughs> well, we appreciate that you think we could do half of it. In that time. <laughs> well, the other thing to add to it too, like to what Tom just said, and just on on that, yeah, like twenty five days of portaging a canoe was the other really challenging thing was we had no idea whether what we were planning to do was even possible. Like my thoughts were just. You know, having done a lot of portage canoeing in the past, we had carried canoes for, I think, the longest portage we'd ever done was seven kilometers. And that took the better part of a day if you went back, you know, and did it a couple times. But to have a canoe on your back for 25 days all day, I didn't know whether our our necks were just going to get destroyed from that. Like, I didn't know whether we'd get four days in and we'd, we'd both just have to give up. And here we were over there having told everyone that we were going to do this thing and we had no idea whether we could actually do it. So that was also a really challenging aspect of it. Like it, that really weighed on us mentally. We were like telling everybody, Oh yeah, we're going to carry canoes to Everest base camp, but we had no idea whether we just have to give mm-hmm. up a few days in. So that was challenging for sure. My goodness. So insane. So cool, though. Was there a moment that was peak? I mean, (laughs) sorry. I just saw a picture of like these Himalayas and there's the tip of the canoe sticking out, which is just never a picture you see. So it just caught me off guard as I'm looking through your Instagram. It is so (laughs) funny. (laughs) Was there a moment of like peak ridiculousness, like where you maybe looked around at your situation, whether that was in planning or in travel, getting there uh, or during the expedition where you're like, what are we doing? (laughs) I, I think for me, maybe the, that peak ridiculousness feeling was pretty early on. Yeah. And it was when we had like, so we got the canoes shipped into Delhi, India and flew in, picked them up on It was Christmas Eve day again, happened to be. And then we started this road trip. It was a four day road trip to get to the Nepal border with the canoes. And the ridiculousness for me was then when we, we had to get dropped at the border and we each had to pick up the canoes and then walk across the border, the Nepalese, the India Nepalese border with our canoes and just like, just, yeah, portage across the border. And at that time, we didn't have, we hadn't fastened our yokes in yet. And so just to help carry them one inside the other. So the yokes weren't on. And so we're just like holding them above our head. And it was about a kilometer walk, you know, so it wasn't short, but just like, we were walking, it was a really busy border too. There was just like tons going on, rickshaws everywhere, lots of people and noise. And here we are with all our gear and like portaging these canoes through this border. And I remember we're pulling up to the spot where you cross. We're like, what's going to happen here? You know, are we going to be allowed to bring these through? So we, we just, I don't know, I just remember thinking, oh God, what's going to happen? And it just felt a little, it felt ridiculous, but we, we kind of, quickly put down the canoes. We didn't hide them, but we didn't show them. You know, we just put them down quickly and 
went in with our passports and you know did, did the stuff got you know did you know then then picked up the canoes and kept on going but that was a pretty sweet moment like yeah. the ridiculous was ridiculousness was high but <laughs> yeah. then when we got through we were like all right there's like another checkpoint you know nothing's gonna stop us now so right. uh, at least not bureaucratically hopefully oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna say bureaucratically, like was anyone just totally dumbfounded? But that is so wild. The pictures are so insane. I, I you know what? I, were there any unexpected benefits to carrying a canoe? Like obviously, if it was raining or snowing, you had some protection. <laughs> or if it was too sunny and hot, you know, you had you had some shade. Was there anything that was like, you know, this is actually kind of nice? That's a good question. I, well, in terms of precipitation, that's another reason why. I would recommend anyone thinking about doing the Everest Space Camp trek to consider doing it in the winter because there's not much precipitation. Like, I don't think it really... I, I thought you were going to say carry us. a canoe, but I, I do it in the time of year. Okay. Yes, yes, I'm not recommending I wouldn't try that at home. But yeah. yeah. Actually, there was that one... There was a snowstorm, I remember, on one of our acclimatization hikes. We didn't have a canoe on our back at that point, unfortunately, but... For the most part, I would have to say there are no benefits of taking a canoe out there. Like, honestly, I can't really think of any benefits. The one that you mentioned, Mason, for me is that I I get burnt pretty easily. And the fact that I didn't have to put on sunscreen for pretty much any of the days, I was like, that's a bonus. You know, I don't have to rub sunscreen all over my face and stuff so i was happy about that but but, but yeah sure. yeah other than that it wasn't worth the trade-off uh you know so if you ever forget your sunscreen just grab a canoe and you'll be fine yeah that's right yeah. just cover yourself in a canoe if you can't find your bottle of sunscreen just bring the canoe bring the yeah, canoe. exactly I'm trying to think what else i mean we did try so many people said to us are you gonna ride them back down you know, and it's like, well, it's all rock and everything. Like, it's not <laughs> possible. But it was like, at one point, I feel like we were kind of at wit's end with that comment. And we're like, all right. You know, we, <laughs> on the way back down, there was an icy section. And so we like jumped in them and tried to see how long we could, you know, slide down this ice right. downhill. But I remember pretty quickly, I was like coming towards this big rock. And so I just like bailed out of them. <laughs> so that was maybe a little bit of it, but it really wasn't possible to ride. Wow. So... so- Kind of like climbing any mountain, every space camp, once you get there, you're halfway uh, and you have to carry everything back down. Tell, tell us about getting there and tell us about the, the, the trip back. Well, yeah, getting there was definitely extremely profound because as I mentioned, like we, you know, from when we had the idea to when we actually got to base camp was over two years. So we've been working on this every day for two years like and we both had full-time jobs and there was a lot a lot of work that went into it and like I mentioned we had no idea whether we could actually do it and even up until the day before we had major issues along the way Tom had a really badly infected toe my partner Maggie who was on our crew over there was having heart palpitations we had a lot of niggles like physical things that we didn't know whether we were going to make it until right before we got to Everest Base Camp. So getting there was just, yeah, a, a very profound. It was really emotional. Like we all just cried. Like we all just kind of looked at each other and started crying. And we were really thinking a lot about what it meant to do that and what we were able to do with 
the difference that we had made and the money we had raised and that kind of thing. Like it was just, you know, a moment I'll never forget for sure. And, and then, you know, it just kind of suddenly hits you, okay, we're halfway. <laughs> like, and, you know, we've broken our bodies to get here and mentally, you know, that it's funny when you do something kind of ultra endurancey like that, like you, you go further than you ever thought was possible. And then to know you have to keep going and going and going was a challenging. I remember on the way back down, we were all kind of, we were kind of over it at that point. Like we were ready to get back. We wanted to like, you know, find somewhere to put our feet up. And so that, that was pretty challenging. Like it was quicker on the way down and we were really motoring at that point because also our bodies were pretty conditioned at that point. Like they were broken, but they were, they were, they knew what was happening and they were kind of just like allowing us to maybe put in longer days and stuff. But yeah, that, that was quite challenging. I think it was just a little bit bleak, like carrying them all back down. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing I, yeah, I would, I would add just, uh, you know, kind of that same reflection getting, getting to base camp, for me, so much, I was not letting my mind get to the point that we were going to do it. You know, that my mind, I was not letting my mind be ahead being like, oh, yeah, we're going to make it. So never believed we were actually going to make it until we were literally 20 minutes away. And part of that came from just the injuries along the way. I started the expedition with a lung infection and I was really sick and fevered and and then got this infected toe that was really bad at one point. Like if we thought that I was going to have to turn back, we couldn't get medication for it and was worried I might have to lose my toe at some point. And, you know, we just managed to hold all these little things off or maybe not little things, maybe a big thing. I, I you know, big toe is a big deal. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. And, and then just getting there and just being so like, yeah, just in shock that it's actually happened. Then the turnaround and going back down for me, I was, I'd say a little bit numb. Like at least we, like we kind of have done what we came here to do. We didn't really come here to go back down. Although that is, that is part of of the trip. It was kind of like, okay, we're done. And yeah, I think my body was in a bit of a state. Yeah. I I lost 27 pounds in 25 days. So like pants that I wore when we started were tight by the there was like six inches of space and it was like you know I remember thinking we need to give some care to our to our bodies but yeah it was just really really overwhelming and incredible and a true test of uh, I'd say our human spirit and that totally aligns with that you can do way more than you ever think is possible there were so many reasons Mm -hmm that this was not possible, even during the expedition, it, leading up to it, there were so many things. Then during, there were so many things and people getting sick and various different stuff. And, you know, and then you get to the end and the finish line and kind of makes you believe you can do anything. Wow. Man. So, so unique of an experience. Where are the canoes now? And to your knowledge, are they the only canoes that have made it to, uh, Everest Base Camp. Yeah, to our knowledge, they are. I did try looking into that to make sure. To our knowledge, they are. Yeah, we didn't leave them at Everest Base Camp. We liked to make, we had a lot of people ask us, oh, did you put it in the big pile of trash up there? So, <laughs> yeah, we had to pour them back down. And um, they are actually at Koshish Nepal, the mental health organization over there that all the funds have gone to. Because when the center, the women's mental health centers, 
being finished, being built, which it's getting close now. It's under construction, um, getting quite close. The plan is to hang them up in the, the ceiling of like the entranceway to the center and like have a little like sort of story about how the money was raised and that kind of thing. So have a little tribute to the way we carry there, I guess. So, yeah. Has anyone wanted to uh, take them up themselves? To, to, like for them to portage them yeah they were there. like hey can i can i do it too take your same canoe up to uh no one has asked camp. yet yes yeah, i'm surprised that's no the first yeah, the first yeah. person mason when are you yeah. going <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'll take the shorter of the two by two by two inches yeah, yeah. <laughs> did y'all switch off with that one because that seems a little unfair i'm just playing. no no kyle wanted the shorter one that's well, not true <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you asked. That's an important detail. <laughs> yeah, it adds up, you know, over 25 days. Sure does. Yeah. That, that pound or two. <laughs> That's why he only lost 11 pounds, but I lost 27. <laughs> you know? This is a big difference. So. My gosh. Well, well, I tell you what, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I didn't mean to bring this up, but, uh, you know, it, it seems to happen so often that when you're on an adventure, the next adventure comes to mind or you begin that you plant the seeds of it in that in the in the in the adventure you're on uh, you know with my friends and what we do we try to do something every couple of months and by the time that trip is done we have a pretty good idea of what we're doing next when you did this did you sense that at all because i know with the first everest trip you had this idea already ready you called your dad he was like i don't know it's kind of crazy but okay did you have that experience with this or was it kind of like a completion let's get to work on this center and, and, and do something different. I, I would say we didn't have yeah. an idea of what the next steps were. Cause a big, a big part of the next steps where we still had to raise a lot of money. We mm. still had like a lot of things like the whole, the whole expedition is still like, it's almost done now. Like we've raised all the funds now, which is great for Koshish Nepal. And now, you know, for me, it really is going to be complete when the doors to the mental health center open. And so I feel like I was still sitting there thinking there's a lot left to do. And, and we, you know, we did manage to raise a lot of funds during the hike and the expedition and stuff, which was great, but we also knew we needed to raise a lot more. And so we knew we, we wanted to create a documentary to help draw in. And that was probably the biggest thing that we did that really helped to give us even more exposure and go to film festivals and raise more more money to help us hit our goal uh, was the, was that film. It just helped a lot of people really see what we were doing and, and everything that went into it. So uh, I didn't get to a point of, at all of like, what's the next step yet? Knowing yeah. we both knew we wanted to continue it, but I also think we both mentally wanted a little bit of like, okay, let's, let's put the brakes on for a moment. Let's just yeah. breathe a, a little bit here. Some reassurance that we were actually going to like get there. Yeah. We yeah. Were, yeah, that was a big thing weighing over us was knowing we had more money to raise. Okay. Yeah, I think at that yeah. point when we got back, we still had another, would have been around another $70,000 still to raise or $60,000. So I had to figure out how to do that first. That's awesome. Oh, I'm glad you guys uh, decided to stick it out and complete that. It's so cool to hear that that's getting so close or is close or it has already happened. And uh Wow, it's already 2.30 on my end. That's crazy. Time is flying. This is such a cool conversation. <laughs> this is, I've just never talked about this. This is wild. Any more portaging in your future? Yes. Yeah, so now that we have gotten closer, that we know the center is going to open and that we've hit our goal and that kind of thing, we've allowed ourselves to take the time to 
think of what we're going to do with our, you know, now we've got a pretty big audience. A lot of people know who the weight we carry is and starting to, yeah, people love wearing our shirts and hats and stuff that we make from time to time and that kind of thing. We decided we did want to continue raising, you know, awareness for the importance of mental health, but also just using our skills towards something else. And we decided, we gave it a lot of, lot of thought, um, but what we wanted to do and, um, you know, in this now post COVID world and that kind of thing, we thought strategically it would make a lot of sense to do something in our own backyard. Um, so we've decided that we're going to do a big portage through the Rocky mountains, the Canadian Rocky mountains, a lot of the details we're kind of keeping close to us right now because we haven't got everything. We're doing a lot. We like to do a lot of homework uh, behind the scenes before jumping into something like this. So we're still kind of finalizing the exact route and exactly where the money is going to go and everything. But we do know that it's going to go to a mental health organization in Canada. And uh, we're going to do a big, a even bigger portage in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. So that's pretty exciting, comes with a lot of new challenges and uh, will be a lot different from hiking uh, to ever space camp. It'll be, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Did you just say even bigger? Oh, uh, yeah. I think you did. Yeah, yeah that, part, I, that part's not confirmed. <laughs> well, b- bigger. I, I think it's subjective. Yeah, yeah. Sub- yes, subjective, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Maybe this expedition, you'll have the chance to actually ride the canoe at some point. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. And simultaneously to that, we're also researching a, a, another trip in another uh, country as well. So we're we're basically kind of working on two, organizing two at the same time, obviously for different periods. Uh, mm-hmm. But we think both of these require quite a lot of planning. So trying to slot them in in different years uh, to be able to just you know kind of maximize the positive impact we can have. So this is your thing now. You're doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Are you? <laughs> I love it, y'all. It's uh. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Mason. We we do still both have full time jobs. We just to add, we we fund everything. All you know, people ask us where your flights paid for this and that. We fund everything out of our own pockets. So we we have jobs that allow us to fund all the overheads of the organization. Um, we have started to do we have started selling some merchandise from time to time to pay for some of the overheads, like just some of the website fees and that kind of thing. But essentially we do still need to keep our uh, day jobs because we got to pay for these adventures. Well, and, and I think a big thing for us that's been important since day one is that a hundred percent of donations go to the cause, you know, unless if there's a, if somebody transfers us money and there's a transfer fee that or something like that, but we don't take any of that. So if Mason donates a hundred dollars, that a hundred dollars goes right to Koshish, you know, like directly. To them, um, yeah. So that, that's something that we felt was really important to make ourselves one unique, but also to make everyone who supports the way we carry know, you know, if, if they really want to make sure their dollars are going to the cause, that's something we really stand by. It does help when people buy our merchandise when we do that to help fund some of our expenses. So it's not all out of our pocket all the time, but we're, we're working on that too, to try to keep merchandise coming to help us do some other things. But yeah, all the donations to the cause uh, go directly to it. Fantastic. Well, uh, do, do y'all want to, I mean, I'm going to tell everybody where to find you, uh, which is the weight we carry.com. Uh, you can find out a ton of information there. And uh, you can watch the the movie One Step at a Time. Uh, by the way, we carry official documentary. It is 
It is really good, y'all. It is amazing. Great, great filmography. And um, I'm excited to hear about the next project. P- please keep me posted. Uh, and, uh, you know, I-, I work for a non-alcoholic brewery, of all things. We are in Canada now. And we're obviously very against the grain, being a brewery with no alcohol. And so y'all are the right kind of people for us in the sense of the, the folks that we, the stories we like to follow, doing things different. You know, that's what it's yeah. all about, doing it your own way. Awesome. You never know. So this is really cool. Well, I tell you what, I don't, I don't want to get, get you in trouble with Seton's wedding. So uh, we, <laughs> should, we should better let y'all go. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> really, really nice meeting you, Mason. I appreciate you giving time for us. Keep up the good work, y'all. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Well, thank you. Take care. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.